This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Welcome to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show here on Plains FM 96.9. My name is Tanya and I'm an alcoholic. The purpose of this show is to increase public awareness of Alcoholics Anonymous as an effective means of recovery from the disease of alcoholism. Our show falls into two parts. First, we're going to talk a bit about alcoholism, what it is and what AA can do to help. Then we'll interview a recovering alcoholic who is an active member of AA. I'm now going to ask our guest to read the AA preamble, which is read at the start of every AA meeting. Alcoholics Anonymous is a fellowship of people who share their experiences, strengths and hopes with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover from alcoholism. The only requirement for membership is desire to stop drinking. There are no dues, fees for AA membership. We are self-supported through our own contributions. AA is not aligned with any sect, denomination, politics, organisation or institutions. Does not wish to engage in any controversy, either endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sober and to help alcoholics to achieve their sobriety. So what is alcoholism? Alcoholism is a disease, not a disgrace. There is no shame in having an illness or a disease. An unusual feature of this disease is that it will do anything it can to convince you that you do not have it. However, once it has hold of you, the progression of symptoms is like a classic disease model and the victim is a helpless as a sufferer of cancer. If you're an alcoholic, you're at the beginning of a long road that usually ends in one of three places prisons, institutions or death. If you think that sounds dramatic, we can assure you that our collective experience has shown this to be true. The challenge is to convince the alcoholic to admit that they need help and become willing to seek it. Denial is the major symptom of alcoholism. The alcoholic is often the last one to recognise it and admit they have it. Our definition of alcoholism is that it is an allergy of the body, coupled with an obsession of the mind. The allergy is the physical aspect of the disease. After having the first drink, the phenomenon of craving develops and we lose control over when we will stop. The old saying is, one too many and a thousand is never enough. And yet, because of the obsession of the mind and the mental aspect of the disease, the alcoholic is compelled to keep picking up the first drink. This makes us powerless. We often hear from sober alcoholics that many doubted whether life could be fun without alcohol. Fortunately, the same people report that their lives have improved dramatically since they became sober. The 12-step program of recovery, which is discussed at meetings and which is outlined in the Alcoholics Anonymous Big Book, is how we get sober and maintain our sobriety one day at a time. This program has a proven track record of helping otherwise hopeless alcoholics to achieve long-term sobriety and recovery. It has taught us how to enjoy life sober. Okay, for anyone who's joined us, you're listening to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show here on Plains FM 96.9. We're just about to interview an AA member who's going to share their experience with alcoholism. So let's meet our guest. Lovely to, to have you in, Aaron. Thank you for coming in to see us today. Kia ora. Uh, kia ora. And um, let's start a little bit with um, getting to know you, a little bit about your background, about your, you know, how old you are, what you do for a job, that kind of thing. Kia ora. Uh, yeah, um, I'm 56 
Uh, so going strong. Um, <laughs> my role is um, I'm a regional consumer advisor for Odyssey Haas uh, and also in the Christchurch Men's Prison uh, as a facilitator. And what we do is a six-month program with a drug treatment program. Oh, lovely. For our clientele. So, yeah. Excellent. And yeah. what about your, your family background? Family background. Uh, I have two, um, two children, two boys. Uh, my oldest boy lives in China. Uh, I have a daughter-in-law there who's Chinese. Uh, I have uh, two, currently two uh, mokapuna, my grandchildren, uh, with a third one on the way. So I'm actually heading to China in, in mid-August, all going well, um, to visit that. Yep. Uh, my other son is in Christchurch here. He's working in the banking industry. Uh, just bought his first house, actually, so that's a big achievement for a young fella these days, housing a bit of an issue. But, um, yeah, both my children um, have been heavily involved in my life and my oldest boy um, only recently came into my life uh, at the age of 20 uh, mm. just through circumstances. So it's good to engage with him. Yeah. And quite funny, I found him on Facebook and he was living in China, uh, sorry, in Japan at the time. So it was quite a good connection. And um, yeah, we're very strong now. So tell me a little bit about, you know, what happened around your first drink. Tell me about the circumstances that led to your first drink and what you can remember. My first drink, I mean, I grew up in a, in a I guess, a traditional English family where my parents drank every day. Uh, as a social drinker. Uh, my grandfather's an alcoholic. Um, but my first drinking experience was, I guess, that, you know, drink dad's beer, you know, drinking the bottom of the glass type thing when they were having functions. Uh, my parents were quite uh, social, entertaining people. Um, so, you know, there was always alcohol in the house. There's always people drinking. Um, my first drink that I can really remember when I um, was at school and I went to a school in Christchurch, um, and I went to a boarding school in Christchurch, and one of my um, my classmates or my, my guys in the boarding house lived in Blenheim. We went to Blenheim, and I would have been um, possibly 12, 13, 13 possibly. Um, and we got up to Blenheim on the farm, and they had a big party. Um, Greg and I stole uh, a bottle of gin out of the cabinet with a couple of bottles of Coke and got on the motorbikes and honed it to the... Um, hay shed and proceeded to drink this mm. cocktail of stuff that we didn't really know. And, and to be fair, I don't actually remember a whole lot about it, to be fair, but that was probably my first, my biggest memory of the consequences of alcohol. Yeah. So just talking about those consequences, as you sort of continued your drinking career, mm. can you tell me a little bit about what those consequences were and what the impact to you was? Um, I guess my drinking never became a... Uh, an issue until later on in life. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was a controlled drinker right through, I mean, obviously through schooling experiences like that on occasion. Um, the other occasion at school is um, I went round to uh, the equivalence girls' school, obviously to meet a young lady, uh, came back, uh, I met some halfway back to, to, to school um, I met some of the, our colleagues and they had us some beer. I had a couple of swigs of beer and proceeded back to school and I was actually organising um, the younger students uh, for, um, for lunch. These guys came back um, totally um, inebriated um, and they told 
the, the authority with the school that I was involved and I actually got suspended oh dear. Um, from the boarding house and it became a day boy for a term. So that phone call to mum and dad in Wellington, um, dad sort of had a, a humorous aspect to that. Um, my mother, not so. Um, my mum was a nurse, so she sort of knew not so much there was a problem, but I guess as mothers, I guess sort of did. So anyway, I, we had to, I had to go and live with another colleague from school, just down the road from where I lived, was at school. And um, yeah, but it was always that memory that I was a little bit different. And mm. it wasn't then that I really had the consequences of those events. It wasn't until I had a lot of reflection through my my then drinking. I, I got married, had children, had an event in my life, which possibly I'll talk about soon, um, that I had to deal with. Um, but my drinking, I would say, if you take out the the young teenage Aaron um, that we do when you experiment with this stuff, mm. um, and, you know, I my drinking was never a problem until later on, you know, well into my well into my uh, late 40s, really. Well, let's talk a little bit about what led up to that rock bottom that you had um, before you came into recovery. Tell me about how it progressed. Sort of what age were you? And- so it, I guess the biggest event, one event that I went to a boarding school, so for me I perceived that as I'd been abandoned by my parents. Mm-hmm. So my anxiety at, at high school was quite high because I would rather have gone home to my parents. Mm-hmm. Um, they made a choice. Um I didn't quite agree with it, and I didn't really have the the courage to say something to them because uh, it could have been quite even though I could have gone to – I didn't want to go to Wellington, actually, because that's where they lived. Um, so I stuck with it. Um, so my anxiety was really high. So I, you know, I didn't do as well at school as I possibly um, should have or could have um, or would have, actually, really. Um, you know, it was that core belief that I, I was a failure mm. and that was sort of that underlying thing. And then at the age of um, – and that affected my, my job perspective. I'm a, I'm, you know, I, went to, I was going to join the police um, and they said you know, at 18 that I was too young. I needed to go and live life. So I went to university and, you know, that was a good move but a bad move because it wasn't really where I wanted to be, um, wanted to do. And it discredited that um, sense I wasn't actually doing it, which had separated the anxiety. But the, but the biggest thing uh, in my life was at the age of 22, uh, my parents moved back to Christchurch. They went from Wellington to Auckland, uh, back to Christchurch. Um, my dad was travelling to Wellington with work. Uh, my mum uh, was at home, obviously, with him, newly re- recent back to Christchurch. Um, I joined um, I joined the um, them for a couple of weeks in between flats. Um, my dad left. My mum walked out of a door and never returned. Uh, and it wasn't until the next day that um, she had taken her life. Um, and I was very early uh, found her body. Um, you know, so I sat in a household, and well, their house really, um, not knowing what to do, how to do it, how to deal with you know, and I, mm. So the consequence of that is I turned, I sort of created myself into the carer. So I looked after my dad, looked after my younger brother. Um, you know, and I didn't know really how to deal with grief. Um, but I can remember talking to... Um, a friend of mine's parents actually um, were the first people I told the mm. event, you know, and I and I didn't deal with it. I didn't know how to deal with it, and I just, you know, my my my, my thing was just to bury it, 
you know, which I did, mm. which you could probably say a lot of males do. Um, you know, this is a whole lot of reflection that I've got on. But anyway, I got on with life, whatever that looked like. And um, But this thing was burning, you know, and it, I, I got married. I had, had my um, my children, um, bought a lifestyle property in North Canterbury. And, you know, life seemed to be what I would call normal. Even my drinking wasn't a, a, a out of control at that point at all. Um, we could quite happily have a glass of wine and that'd be it. Mm. Um, fair play to that. Um, and then it affected my marriage. Uh, I became a workaholic before I became an alcoholic for the strategy of the coping. Um, it, it, and then, yeah, it, like I said, it, 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 it destroyed the marriage. Um, so ended up in the house I'm in today. Um, so not on top of the marriage breakup, my mother's event and my anxiety challenges that I hadn't really dealt with either. Um, you know, that's where my drinking started. Mm. You know, that was, you know, that's where the basis of my drinking because the, the idea was, yeah, I'm on my own. Um, I was seeing my, my boys um, or my youngest boy particularly every second week, um, you know, and I had a, a week on my own and that's when, you know, I, I like to cook so... The attitude of um, cooking a nice meal, having a few wines seemed to, to solve the stuff inside, you know, and I call it like the volcano because it, as far as I pushed it, you know, that's this stuff that's got to come up somewhere, you mm. know, and it started coming up, and, you know, and um, my routine was get up, go to work, come home via the supermarket, um, buy my... My my allowment for the week, or for sorry for the day. I was mm-hmm. there going every day. I was in a uniform, um, but I was buying food that I didn't actually typically need because I never considered myself an alcoholic at all. Um, I also thought I was um, somebody dealing with a lot of trauma that I mm-hmm. hadn't really recognised. And um, you know, in the end, it was it, it got me to a dark place. It got me to um, you know, I was literally buying. Was it the good stuff? It doesn't really matter. It was that stuff to a um, make me a little bit happier, mm. um, make the world a little bit happier for me for that night. Um, I'd literally um, would just drink until I not so much pass out all the time, but I would pretty pretty wobbly, um, and then get do it all again, you know. Um, but that led to to DIC charges. Yeah. Um, so I needed more, um, and then the second time I got an interlock device in my vehicle. Um, and that was a, a thing in itself because things were set it off that it, just, it was only supposed to be in there for uh, six months and yeah. then it ended up being more than that. So in terms of how you came into AA, can you talk a little bit about that process and what you can remember your first AA meeting to be like? Okay, I came into AA because I had a brain seizure from coming off the alcohol. So 2018, um, my darkest point was... I guess it came, I was actually prepared to take in my life. Mm. Um, 2.30 in the morning, very intoxicated. I had everything I needed to do. Uh, then I realised I was just going to repeat the process to my children as my mother and Inverty did to me. Mm. So I made a phone call to m- my brother's partner on the North Island, who then rang my dad in Christchurch, who then rang Cross's team. So the Cross's team pulled me up, uh, picked me up, sorry. Got out of there after some nice conversation, uh, decided, sort of didn't think I was an alcoholic, um, still um, doing what I was doing, um, but I decided I needed to change things in my life, um, and that was my drinking mm. routine. So I decided to stop um, 
me stopping. Um, created me to have four seizures. The only reason I'm here today is I had a flatmate at the time who happened to be a nurse um, and picked up on the signs and um, got into um, into that, get through that, even on coming out of that environment after being told, my parent, my dad got told I was to prepare for a funeral, so I was pretty crook. But I came out of it, obviously, um, and got into, got back home and, uh, then continued drinking. So I then had to make some more choices. So I got into Helmorton, into Kennedy, a Kennedy unit to medically detox. And then I went to Thorpe House uh, to social detox. So I had two weeks off alcohol. I came out with the attitude that Aaron had been fixed. So I can just get a Dr. Phil moment. Um, got on with it. That lasted, didn't think I needed to do any more work uh, with my recovery. Uh, that lasted three weeks. We're beginning a lockdown sort of time. So that was the environment. Um, Screamed to get back in. It took me six weeks to get back into Thorpe. Um, I still had to go down the road and get my stuff. Um, got into there and then I got into Thorpe. I um, spent another seven days in Thorpe. Mm. I connected with the people from AA uh, and I particularly connected to one story. Uh, so in short, I left early um, from that environment and went to my first AA meeting. I uh, left on a Sunday, went to my first meeting on a Monday. Uh, I cried right through it. I walked into this room not knowing anybody uh, and it's the first time I said hi Marin, I'm an alcoholic. Mm. There's the first recognition of that. After crying right through that meeting I went and after saying those words uh, I went down to the McDonald's down the road, bought a hamburger and started crying but they were happy to escalate. She finally figured out the, the component that it had been running and that was for me to start accepting people in my life that could assist me rather than thinking I can do this thing on my own because that just led to my addiction. So quite a high price to pay to get into recovery, I guess. 100%, yeah. Um, so you've been in recovery for a little bit now. What do you do to help your to do to do help your recovery in terms of AA and your service? Well, for AA, I mean, um, I did my 1990. So after coming to my first meeting um, that I just talked about, I, you know, I needed to go back. So AA for me was my life. Um, so I had nobody else because I had locked everybody out of my life, you know, particularly my father because I had a lot of resentment around some of the actions around my mother's event. Um, so for me, I wasn't working. I didn't work for two years um, in my early recovery. Um, so it was a time to really reflect and rebuild Aaron um, and part of that was to include people in my life. Um, I'm such a people person but I isolated for many years. So AA gave me, you know, it's the um, Recovery Unity and Service, which AA stands for. Mm. So for me it was going to a meeting every day. Uh, it gave me purpose in my life. It gave me routine in my life uh, and it gave me a community of people that weren't going to judge me. You know, I joined a church back in, the, in my earlier reco- early recovery and as much as I'm not here to say the church because I think churches are brilliant, um, AA was the, the way that I needed to go. They were the people, you know, and uh, I'm still heavily involved in AA. Um, but AA for me is the, the one day at a time, you know, living life's on life terms. Um, the one day at a time for me is, is probably the biggest thing because I was a person in my addiction that would – uh, live in the past and certainly live in the future. And I was, as my, um, one of my people that looked after me said, if you live uh, one foot in the past and one foot in the future, you're, you're 
different. Shitting on them, yeah, really. <laughs> so, yeah. so uh, okay, so it's one day at a time. Yeah. And um, do you have a do you have a group that you belong to? Yeah, I have a, I have a home group. Yeah. I have um, I had um, three service roles. I've got yeah. two now. So service is important to you. Service is service is my long term strategy. Mm-hmm. I, I don't do seven days uh, a week meetings anymore. I do one to two. Um, but I'm heavily involved in service. I think service is um, definitely my uh, way to go. Uh, I'm a GSR for one group uh, and a treasurer for another. Um, I also was in the prison uh, with AA, um, so very much in that environment. Uh, very much happy to help uh, anybody in recovery. Mm. Um, you know, that's my main thing. And, you know, uh, I work in the sector. Um, I'm now a qualified AOD uh, practitioner, um, which has only come out of recovery. I came from the building industry. Yeah. And um, after I couldn't get into my uh, police dreams, um, I had to really think life, you know, but um, I'm where I am supposed to be. You know, it, my, my, my mahi that I do is to really supporting um, the people that lived in that lived experience community. And what's your life like today? Because obviously AA and your service work is quite important to to, mm. to what you do and the quality of life you have. But what is life like after giving up drinking? Life for me is just a dream. Um, I've rebuilt my house that got taken out after my marriage broke down um, and got after me doing it up and partly um, with my dream of being in the property sector Um I finally, it's almost finished. It's almost rebuilt. You know, I spent, a, it was a part of my trauma, a part of my anxiety was trying to get this house, but in addiction, you know, one thing recovery has got me uh, is mental freedom. Mm. You know, I mean, you talk to guys in the prisoner and that, they sort of laugh at you, but it is that I'm able to think, I think different that I did 1,325 days ago. You know, it's um, the ability to process, the ability to pause. Um, the ability to connect in a way, positive strength way, pace way. Um, you know, life today is just, um, I have a purpose, I have my job, I love my job. Um, I love my house. You know, my house was a house, now it's becoming a home. Mm. You know, I have a, a, I rescued a dog and I, you know, I feel like two years before I came into recovery thinking I was uh, rescuing him, but I actually think he rescued me, mm. part of my journey. You know, that connection, and he's just the brilliant part of my life. Um, I have people, I have communities in my people, I have people that um, bring me up um, and just want to talk, you know. There's no judgment. Um, I've had to um, choose some of my playground because my best friend was a big drinker, mm. and we had to part ways. But I'm really lucky that he's um, seen part of my journey and um, his drinking is well under control now, so we have reconnected. So recovery for me is, um, you know, I've got two qualifications that I never had. You know, I've studied, I've got, um, I've got awards. You know, it's, but for big, the biggest thing for me, it's I'm in a positive sense of, you know, I look not like the person I came into um, into into addiction and also certainly um, at the darkest days of my of my drinking. So for somebody who's listening to this today who might be in that place, what would you recommend to them? I think for these people, I think um, it's the courage walking through those doors. Mm-hmm. You know, walking through those doors for the first time is, is is so great. But on the other side of those doors, 
as a community um, and a framework. You know, the steps I've completed my steps. I've got a sponsor. You know, it's really, you know, I got a, I got challenged when I first came into the rooms about getting a sponsor, and I said, well, uh, what is how does that how does somebody do that? I don't know half these people, um, and they said you need to get somebody that's going to challenge you. You know, so I picked this person. Uh, he actually turned me down three times, um, but then he became my temporary sponsor, but I know that's all part of the deal. Um, but I think for somebody coming in who's looking on the outside, um, I was the guy that A, didn't think I was an alcoholic, and B, didn't think AA, or didn't even consider AA, to be fair. And that's even after my dad rang up the 0800 number. You know, but it's um, what you gain from this is your life. This thing is life-strengthening, and you have to know recovery is an everyday thing for me. And I like to think that recovery, um, now my biggest, my number one goal is not to get complacent. Mm. So I will do everything I can to, um, you know, even down to going out for a, a dinner recently and somebody gave me a glass of water and a wine glass and I asked them to change it. You know, they, they say, oh, I know it's water, they know it's water, I know it's a wine glass, they know it's just, you know, it's just too close, but I have to have my boundaries. Mm. Um, but please, um, anybody out there listening to this, I really encourage you to um, make a phone call, uh, walk into a room, get onto the website, ring the number, a 800 number. It, it is well worth your life. Um, and you won't know yourself. Um, if, even from the first meeting, you'll be a different person. So please um, do what you need to do. Thank you so much, Aaron, for coming and sharing your story today. It's really lovely to see you. Great. For our listeners, if you've related to anything that you've heard or would like some more information about Alcoholics Anonymous, you can look us up on the web. We're at www.aa.org.nz or call us on 0800 AA Works. There are over six to meetings in Canterbury a week, and so there's likely one near you. Join us next week to hear more from AA members sharing their experiences. Our show airs every Monday at 5.30 on Plains FM and repeats on Wednesday at 12.30pm. You can also find podcasts of our past shows on the Plains FM website at plainsfm.org.nz or you can download, subscribe and listen to podcasts on iTunes and Spotify. That brings us to the end of our show. Thank you for listening and remember, if you want to drink, that's your business, but if you want to stop, we can help. You don't have to do it alone. We will now close with the serenity prayer as we do in every AA meeting. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. You've been listening to the AA Radio Show on Plains FM.